Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along on this uh, chilly Friday morning. My thanks to uh, John Paul for sitting in for me for the last uh, couple of days that I've been uh, off. I uh, sadly lost uh, somebody very dear to me and I had a funeral to attend. Um, I'm still an emotional wreck, so, n- so not in a position uh, to talk about it or share it with you. Or else I'll be in floods of tears for the morning, which is not ideal when you need to present uh, a radio programme. So thanks to uh, to John Paul. But the one thing that that struck me, uh, have, being at a funeral and, you know, suffering a bereavement at this time of year, there's just, to suffer bereavement at any time of year is, is very sad and you just have to get through it and get through the pain of it. But there's just, it, it's like there's an extra layer added to the bereavement when it's the lead up to Christmas because everywhere around you and everywhere you go, there's twinkly lights and Christmas trees and uh, chil- you know children excited about Christmas as they should be and people getting into festive spirit and and for those that are bereaved, the world just seems a very dark place and you just want to stop all the clocks and get everybody to, to, to stop doing what they're doing. But of course, life has to go on. So uh, I think of anybody who is uh, suffering a bereavement or who is mourning, it is a really tough time to do it at this time of the year. And then yesterday I heard the very sad news of the Cork actor and director Donald Farmer uh, who passed away. We will... Uh, remember him, I suppose, best for his part in Glenroe as uh, Father Tim Devereux. I didn't realise he'd actually started with RT almost at the start of because he joined RT in 1964 and they decided to ship him over to England to the BBC to do some training. So he went over there to train as a producer, director and then he, when he came back he won, he would have been directing all of the episodes of the Reardons. He then went on to become the head of drama in RTE in 1971. So he went up through the ranks of RTE very, very quickly. But for those of us here in Cork and something I no doubt he was very proud of himself, he will always be remembered because he helped to found the wonderful Everyman Theatre, which today is still growing strong and they have their wonderful pantomime on there at the moment. Of course, he's originally from Blackpool, uh, graduated from UCC in English and uh, Irish and he's survived by his wife Eileen and their three children, Orla, Catherine and uh, Donal. And we send our deepest, deepest um, sympathies to Eileen and to the uh, children and one of the stories I think it was uh, Mario Rosenstock I was reading a piece in one of the papers where Mario was remembering uh, Father Tim as he was in 
Glenrow. And there was one very funny scene that listeners may remember. It was to do with Father Tim Devereux, donor farmer, as a priest. He was uh, he had a love of greyhounds and he always had greyhounds. His character as the priest had uh, greyhounds. And there was an episode where his dog was g- gone for breeding, but due to Joe Lynch, Dinny, the dog ended up being breeded by the sired by the wrong dog, basically. But of course, Dinny being Dinny, he wasn't able to tell Father Devereaux what had happened. So what did the bowled Dinny do? Uh, Joe Lynch decided to go into confession, knowing full well that the priest couldn't do anything when he told him what he had done. And that's how he got away with it. And it was just one of those very funny scenes where you had two a very good script and two very good actors with brilliant comic timing able to pull off what was a a very, very funny scene. So we remember uh, Donald Farmer uh, today. Now, coming up on the programme, we have lots to get through on the programme today, but also on the programme today, we have a magical Blarney free Santa Friday that's happening across all of the programmes today. So we will have two passes to give away. You will be listening out for a queue to call, which is Santa telling you to call now. And when you hear that, um, if you are caller number 10, you will receive a family pass, which is a family of four people to go to see Santa at Magical Blarney. And I've heard from people who have already been along to Santa at Magical Blarney and it's seemingly, it really, really is magical. So you're listening out for that this hour and every hour we will give you your cue to call. And also later on in the programme today, I will be playing a clip of a song from Rod Stewart. We've been doing this across the week as well. When we play the clip of the song, you have to identify what song are we playing, what clip of the song are we playing from Rod Stewart. And uh, if you guess it correctly and you are the correct caller, you will win a pair of tickets to go to see Rod Stewart Rod Stewart is of course playing Porky Cueve on Saturday the 25th of May 2009 and you can win yourself a pair of tickets if you want to buy tickets to Rod Stewart then check it all out on ticketmaster.ie and of course these Rod Stewart tickets would make the perfect Christmas gift if there is somebody in your household who is a Rod Stewart fan and you're there racking your brains trying to think of what to get him for Christmas may I suggest a pair of Rod Stewart uh, tickets. Now on the programme this morning we're going to speak with a young mother who is sharing the story, her, the story of her little boy who is waiting for spinal surgery. This is yet another one of the children who is with scoliosis who are on waiting lists. And I mean, scoliosis, the fact that it's curvature of the spine, it causes all sorts of different complications for the child if they don't get in and get the surgery done as quickly as possible to to straighten the spine. And besides complications it's causing, it's also very painful for the children. And anyone listening who's ever suffered any kind of backache, if you've ever gone through that slip disc or whatever, the pain of backache is just horrendous. Can you imagine a child and having to watch a child daily being in pain, can't sit properly, they can't stand properly, lying down uh, becomes an issue. And as a parent to have to watch your child go through pain is absolutely horrendous. And we should not be asking 
parents to have to do that and we certainly shouldn't be asking children to remain on waiting lists. They have no understanding that we have a crisis or a problem in the health service and you're, at, you're on a list somewhere and one day you will get called. And, and, and the thing with the scoliosis waiting list is you've got to get a call to go and see the orthopaedic surgeon who will then take a look at the child and yes, decide this child needs to be operated on and then you go on a list for the actual surgery. So even getting to see the orthopaedic consultant still doesn't mean you're going to have the operation. There's then another, you get onto another uh, list, which is just endless waiting while a child is in pain. Just not good enough. So we're going to be talking about that on the programme this morning. Also hearing why, this is the Minister for Agriculture, this got, or the Minister, not the Minister for Agriculture, the Minister for Health, got asked this week in the Dáil about vacancies at Mallow Hospital. And according to the Minister for Health, there's 20 vacancies at Mallow Hospital, which I was unaware of. So we're going to be talking about that today on the programme and trying to find out, I mean, if there's that many vacancies, what effect is that having on the hospital? I mean, at a time when there's lots and lots of talk about hospitals because we've got a winter plan that finally we got to hear about the winter plan that a number of people were saying we should have been hearing about this winter plan in the summer so that hospitals could could prepare. You kind of think the beginning of December, is that a little bit late to be telling all the hospitals, look, this is what the plan is. But already the winter plan is getting a lot of criticism and the Irish Medical Organisation, who are obviously the people at the cold face of the hospitals, they know what's going on. These are the doctors and the uh, consultants. I mean, they're saying that what's been offered here, this winter plan, which is worth... 30 million euro, a lot of money going into it. They're saying it is temporary relief. And the INMO president, or the IMO president, is Dr. Padder Gilligan. He's quoted in all the papers as saying that the HSE winter plan is too little, too late. He says, as usual, the plan ignores key issues. It offers little in the way of meaningful solution. He says that the Irish Medical Organisation has a plan that would achieve a six hour emergency department target time. But he says in order for it to work, the HSE needs to take action and to take action now. He says in the interest of patient safety, 95% of patients should not wait longer than six hours from arrival at the A&E until admission to a ward to a bed or else you get a discharge home you go into the A&E and they find out you're okay there are very few people that are turning up at emergency departments and are getting in and out in six hours are getting in in six hours and onto a ward in six hours that certainly is not happening I mean we only saw last month in the month of November all kinds of records were broken for the amount of people on trolleys and I think for this year we're going to break the records for the amount of people that waited on a trolley uh, for a period of time while waiting either to get a bed in a hospital or else to be discharged at home now the HSC are obviously dependent defending their plan. They're saying the hospitals are already very busy. They say the winter plan is designed to reduce the number of people in emergency departments and to reduce the number of admissions. So this plan kicks in from Monday, December the 17th and it runs through until Sunday, 
January the 13th. They have enhanced measures and it'll be targeted at nine sites of concern. Now, these are all the major hospitals around the country. And for us locally, I mean, Cork University Hospital is mentioned, as is the University Hospital in uh, Limerick. Over the period of this focused time of the winter plan, the hospitals are going to be intensely monitored, says the HSC, and arrangements have been made to ensure that diagnostic services can remain open when uh, needed. And you look at these plans and you look at the amount of money that they're putting into it and you kind of think well why don't they look at a hospital like Mallow Hospital that we're going to be talking about today. I know John Paul was talking about Bantry Hospital during the week. We've got fine hospitals in the county. Could they not be used? Is there not capacity there that we could use, particularly during a time like this for the for the winter plan? Could they not incorporate and bring those hospitals into the fray uh, as well? So we'll find out about these vacancies at Mallow Hospital. And then in a separate interview, we're going to be discussing the amount of money that the HSE is actually spending on agency staff. I didn't realise until I was reading up about it yesterday evening that the agency staff get paid agency nurses get paid up to 20% more than a staff nurse now I know the HSC will say yeah but they don't have to be paid holiday to pay they don't have to be paid sick pay uh, and all of that but there's still a lot of money being spent on agency staff huge amount of money has been spent here in Cork for example on agency staff Do we, is there a way of saving money there for the HSC by saying okay let's knock agency staff on the head and let's get out there and recruit and then the retention when we, when we recruit these staff we have to hang on to these staff we have wonderful staff you go to any country in the world and you will find Irish nurses Irish nurses and doctors are in huge demand all over the world because we train them so well and what a shame and what a waste of our resources and our money that we train these nurses and doctors and then they get on boats and planes and they leave uh, our shores while we have a situation that we have to go to agencies to get and to pay more to put a nurse onto onto a ward and many of our agency staff are coming from outside Ireland because we can't recruit and retain staff that really does need to be looked at and later on in the programme I'm going to speak with an American priest who is in the Cork uh, area. I think it was Bishop Crane invited him and uh, some other priests to come and work with uh, young people. But they're part of uh, an order that is bringing over a group of pilgrims from Spain next year. They're bringing them over to Ireland and they're fearful that they might get a little bit cold while they're here. So he's going to put out an appeal for duvets and blankets and we'll find out more from this uh, priest a little bit later on and as we always do on a Friday if you are maybe thinking of going to the movies this weekend uh, Mark Malone, our movie reviewer will give you some ideas for uh, going to the movies are if you want to rent out a movie are are on streaming. Now we've already had a, a text in this morning from Phil saying Patricia I'm just wondering do you have any update on Eileen the lady that was looking for accommodation she was on with John Paul the other day when you were off and her son is coming home for Christmas. Uh, I hope she has or she does get sorted thanking you says Phil and I actually heard it obviously wasn't listening to radio at all over the last few days but I actually heard that lady I I actually heard Eileen because I knew she was coming on on Tuesday. I actually heard a clip of her interview. It's running as a promo 
I heard it this morning and it was actually upsetting to listen to her because she was quite upset when she was talking with uh, John Paul and the clip that was used in the promo is her talking about her son. Her, her son is coming home to spend Christmas with her. He's obviously overseas and she just hates the idea of him having to come to a hostel or a homeless shelter or to a hotel or, you know, to emergency accommodation. She'd love him to be able to come home to some kind of a home. And I know her problem is this to do with the HAP scheme and she's falling between two stools whether she's under Cork County Council or Limerick Council and it's just one of those red tape issues where you just kind of say to to the powers that be rather than having to have all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed can you not look at the person and see we can bend the rules slightly here she's fallen between two stools let's put a bit of humanity into the system and let's look at this woman who needs to be housed. I mean, you know, is there no common sense? You kind of wonder sometimes does common sense just go out the window with, you know, it's almost like the computer says, no, we can't do it that way. Yes, you can do it that way. Yes, you can break the rules every now and again. And you're not breaking them. You're just ever so slightly bending them. So I checked with John Paul, uh, Phil, and uh, he says, we're working on it quietly and uh, behind the scenes and we are working on it so fingers crossed that we will get Eileen sorted out in time for Christmas. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Uh, shoppers bracing themselves for the biggest spending spree since the Celtic Tiger years. God guide the boom is back uh, for some uh, anywhere. Householders are expected we're told to spend on average €2,690 during the month of December which is about 870 more than any other month in the year. They're also telling us the powers that be. This is the the retailers, Trade Body Retail Ireland they've conducted this survey. They're saying it's about 3% increase on what we spent over the same period last year. They're saying the increase in spending comes on the back of rising disposable income. There's a record number of people at work and they say total sales over the Christmas season are expected to top 4.65 billion euro and that's up last year. That's a staggering amount of money. So I'm just wondering, have people noticed, are you spending a little bit more this year than you spent last year? Or do you even have any idea of how much you spend? That is always one of the dangers, I think, with Christmas when you're spending. And if you're spreading it out over maybe weeks and months, maybe you've been buying a little bit every week, you may have no idea how much you have actually spent. And this is the week, isn't it, that the Christmas bonus has been paid out. So I take it a lot of people will be buying a little bit of Christmas cheer Uh, thanks to their Christmas bonus and while that's going on while spending is back to what it was during the Celtic Tiger years we really have a very divided country because while that's going on and you probably heard I know there's a piece running on our news this morning from the Society of St Vincent de Paul they are telling us that they're seeing a rise in families experiencing what's described as hidden poverty and it's led to a surge of first-time callers, people who have never, ever gone near the Society of St Vincent de Paul before. This year, for whatever reason, they are seeing a surge in calls. And as I say, it's hidden poverty. It can be people in your neighbourhood who you think are doing really well. It may be somebody who heads out to work and you see the person leave every day and heading to work and you think they're getting on grand, they're they're working away. But are they a low-income 
Are they on the minimum wage, for example? Are they on a scheme that's just topping up their welfare and it looks like they're going out to work? And then you don't, you also don't know, did somebody buy during the boom and they could have a huge mortgage and every single red cent they have is going to pay off the mortgage or to pay off other bills. And then when it comes to a time like Christmas, there isn't anything uh, extra. So there is a lot of hidden poverty and it takes an awful lot for people. Pride is a dreadful thing. It's not a dreadful thing, but I think we all have pride and and people find it very, very hard to have to pick up the phone and knock on the door of their locals to Vincent de Paul. And this could have been people who in the past would have been very generous at Christmas and would have donated to the Society of Vincent de Paul. And suddenly they find themselves needing to get a little bit of a dig out. And, you know, that's what Vincent de Paul uh, are there for. But this has been, for whatever reason, this year, they are seeing a rise from families in particular. And, you know, with families all saying, when there's children involved, that's what will make the parents swallow the pride and say, I'm going to go to Vincent de Paul. I want my children to have some kind of a decent and a normal Christmas. So so it's just, it's interesting to see a rise in those calls while we're hearing on the other, other hand, the biggest spending spree since uh, the Celtic Tiger. And I was reading a piece during the week from Vincent de Paul when they were launching their national annual a- appeal. And they were talking about some of the first time callers and talking about this fact that they've all all over the country they've noticed this rise in, in first time callers and they were you know giving some of the stories of people saying you know a, a businessman who normally has been doing quite well has just had a really really bad year and has struggled all year just to keep afloat and now that it comes to the end of the year there's nothing there there's nothing there uh, to, to even just put basic food stuff on the table let alone any of the luxuries that we expect around Christmas so he ended up having to go to uh, Vincent de Paul and then another woman and I thought this was heartbreaking who rang on behalf of her herself and her uh, child and she said she never wants to go through a Christmas like she went through with her daughter last year. She struggled all through last year and she's struggling again this year and last year she managed as a, as a treat to get a box of roses and two bags of popcorn and that literally was what they had for Christmas Day and she said it was utterly miserable and she swore she'd never go through that again what she went through last year and she was trying all year her best to get on top of everything so she'd have the extra little bit for Christmas this year and she found herself uh, last week going no I'm going to end up the very same way that I was last year so she went and picked up the phone and rang uh, Vincent Paul who are now going to help her out and make sure that she, herself and her, her child have a wonderful Christmas so let's not forget uh, Vincent Paul. so definitely a country that does seem to be uh, divided this year Now Jamie O'Flaherty is writing in today's Avenue newspaper about a young mother from Ballylanders who is urging the Health Minister Simon Harris to sort out the health service and in particular the waiting times for sick children to see an or orthopaedic surgeon that young mother Una Quish joins me to share her story. Good morning to you Una. Good morning Patricia. Now I'm very well. You were fighting on behalf of your young son Noah who is 20 months is it? Yes he is. 20 months. Um, When did you notice that Noah had a problem with his spine? Um, Well actually it was he he got quite sick when he was eight weeks old and he was admitted to hospital for um, a number of complex medical issues. But at the time, I noticed that he had um, a curve in his spine, but because there was so much other stuff going on, we kind of pushed that aside. So it was actually in February then we noticed that the curve had progressed and he had got um, quite prominent. So uh, his physiotherapist had referred him to Limerick Hospital to have that assessed. So we had a scan 
in February and it showed that he had a curve at T11 on his spine so he would be referred to Crumlin to have that seen to because he has such a medical history that he would need to be seen in Crumlin and we haven't heard anything back actually yet for that we're waiting that's, that's February of this year February t- yeah, 2018 yeah. and we are here in December the year is nearly gone and you're saying you've heard nothing from Crumlin no, well, actually, only in the last two days I have got a letter from them saying that he has been his referral has been accepted, and that an appointment would be sent out in the post. But I don't know how long that appointment could be, or we're none the wiser as to how long it will take. So, still waiting on that. And that when you got that letter to say your referral has been accepted, yeah, is that you only getting that now from February? I only got it. I think probably because of the last. Um, paper article maybe we only just got it in the last few days yes yeah, since February um, even an email has been sent to them to say that it's progressing quite quick and he needs to be seen urgently so we still haven't heard anything since then Are you fearful that if they were to do another scan today that the curvature is even m- more pronounced than it was in February? Yeah it's definitely changed from he was in T11 and even his physiotherapist has noticed that it's definitely gone worse than that because the curve has changed completely and he has a hump on his back now that he wouldn't have had in February so it's gone very prominent on one side so that's so pushing on his organs then and that's what has me fighting for change. So he he definitely know. will need surgery? There's, there's no two ways around we don't, this? Yeah, we don't even know that even like we just need him to be assessed so that we know the extent of it so we can do something about it then because it does it is a bit of a worry that it's stopping him from standing or walking like he's only just sitting independently now so, and he's in pain as well when you're driving. You have to take a break after about 20 minutes to give him a rest because he's crying with pain from sitting. So you have to try and move him around to try and make him more comfortable, yeah. is it? Yeah. Is he is he comfortable when he's lying down? Can he? Yeah, he's comfortable lying down and we have, um, like a physiotherapist has given him a sleep system for his cot, which kind of lies him in a position and tries to keep his back straight uh, we have a lecky chair as well, which does the same thing. It kind of holds him in place when he's sitting at home. Um, a standing frame to try and keep him steady as well. So we have a few things in place like that, but all that can do is kind of keep it together for now, but he can't stop it really, I suppose, from getting but worse. But he's, 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 he's a 20-month l- yeah, little boy. He should be running still. around and, you know, at least crawling at this stage. Yeah, that's it. Well, he has a chromosome missing as well, which would um, contribute to delayed development and stuff. But even at that, we don't know if it's the scoliosis causing it. He's low muscle tone as well. Or is it the chromosome? But yeah, he would be way behind. Bless his heart. God, he's, he, he has it tough enough. But I suppose the worst of it all is to watch him in pain, Una, or to think of him in pain. Yeah, and just not be able to do anything or even try and push the appointment. Like, I know there's a huge delay and it's not the doctors or the surgeon's fault or anything like that. They're all trying their best as well. And even his physiotherapist here, she's trying her best too. It's just the waiting list. And there really is a lot of children on it. I think there's thousands actually from this year alone waiting on them being orthopedic specialists. And the killing part here is you're, you're, you are, yeah, you're one of the, and uh, little Noah is one of the thousands of other children waiting just to get the appointment. And then when you yeah. get the appointment, even, even if you were to get the appointment next week you then will go on another list which is the list for surgery yeah and even like it takes time as well once you do get the appointment to be seen by a specialist they have to keep scanning him as well 
and he has to go on for a few months to see if um, the spine is changing and what degree it's at. So it all takes time. So it's going to be months down the line before we know what's going to happen if he needs surgery or anything, I'd imagine. You just want to get the ball rolling and at least get in the system for the surgeon to say, yes, Noah is an ideal candidate. Let's Mm. do what what we now need to do. I know when I checked yesterday evening, as of August, there was 152 children awaiting a spinal procedure. These were the children that have been seen by the surgeon. The surgeon has said, yes, these children are all urgent cases. They need to be done. And up to August, there was 152 of them. Not. It's just crazy. Like this is only really February that we noticed that it had really got worse. So from February to now, it has got a whole lot worse. Like if for a child of his age, his physiotherapist was concerned, she said, "Um, it's just it's getting bad quite quick." So he does need to be seen because. And the physiotherapist will be only able to do as much. She's, yeah, she's doing physio once a week with him at home. Yeah. And she's, he has a final suit that he wears um, that she got for him as well, just to kind of keep him upright as well. So she's doing everything she can from her side. But he does need to be seen by a specialist. That's just not good enough. Is uh, Do you have other children, Ona? No, I know, yeah. Especially when he's behind. And he's mad to get up and go as well, which is tougher again. Yeah, and do you, do you have other children or is he an only child? No, he has an older sister. You know, okay. And she's it, yeah. Uh, it's tough on Leah as well, I imagine. Well, she does. She is wondering as well why he's not up walking like the rest of her friends. I know. Baby and things like that. And what sort of a little boy is he? Oh, he's very happy and bubbly, and he doesn't really let anything bother him. That's just that bit now. If you're driving or he's sitting in the buggy or anything, he sits to one side, so he's in pain and he cries. Then, but other than that, he's very easy going and happy. Okay, a little uh, too young to be really excited about Christmas, is he? Or does he does he understand yeah, what's going on? Yeah. yeah, he's a bit too young. <laughs> all right, but, but no doubt Leah's already sent off the letter to Santa and all of that. Don't know all that, yeah. Very <laughs> organised this year. Good, good on you. Okay, we'll stay in contact with you, Una. And your Christmas yeah. wish would be to have an appointment, uh, even if not this yeah. side of Christmas, to have it early in the new year. Okay, we'll keep in contact yeah. with you, Una. Uh, God Thank bless. You, have a great Bye. Christmas. You, Thanks, you, Emilia. Thanks, Emilia. It's just, I off, I feel for these families who have to go public in order to try to put some publicity onto their case in the hope that somebody somewhere uh, listening in the powers that be at uh, Crumlin Children's Hospital will be listening and that they will get you little Noah an appointment certainly sooner rather than later shocking and awful to hear have to watch that little boy in pain he's got enough medical issues going on uh, please he just he needs help this week asked the health minister Simon Harris about the number of medical nursing and care posts that are vacant in Manor General Hospital and when will these posts be filled Deputy Michael Moylan um, joins me in studio this morning uh, with the minister's uh, response good morning to you Michael good morning Patricia uh, uh, and you're, you're you're welcome now the answer you got from the minister was he said approximately 20 staff vacancies at Mallow General Hospital. But now you're telling me that that mightn't be correct. What are you now hearing? The information that I have, uh, uh, the second paragraph of his answer to me uh, on the health questions on Wednesday morning were that there was approximately 20 vacancies right across the medical, nursing, health and social care. And uh, I have been advised that there isn't uh, that many vacancies in Mano Hospital, that there might be one or maybe two vacancies right across it. By the way, what prompted you to raise the issue? Well, I'll tell you what prompted me to raise the issue is I am 
constantly, you know, Manor Hospital, Manor General Hospital is providing a fantastic service. And I think it is underutilised. I think it is vastly underutilised. And we have been centralising care into the city hospitals over the last while. And anybody that goes through the accident and emergency or goes through the uh, medical uh, units in the hospitals, they would tell you the horrendous experiences they have had three, four, five nights in a trolley. Or if you've elderly people, it is in my opinion it is in some instances beyond human and there's an awful lot of people working extremely hard but the way it is set up it's just not working and I have had experience personally myself I've been a patient in Mallow Hospital uh, nearly every member of my family have been uh, in, in Mallow Hospital and I could not in all honesty, praise them enough for the, mo- the way they carry out their business. You know, the professionalism, the care orientation, you know, it is, uh, you are a patient in Mallow General Hospital. In other hospitals, you become a number. And, you know, we have seen uh, right across the spectrum, you know, when they were, uh, and uh, recently, it is where they've had to do colonoscopies or where they have to do gallbladder or any of those day procedures that are done in Mallow Hospital. And they have done them extremely, extremely well. And there's fantastic teachers there. There's a fantastic backup there. And I'm just, you know, you look at it just from the family point of view, when they have a patient in hospital, every family, when they have a patient in hospital, you know, their antennas up, their their, their consciousness and they're nervous of how, how people are and, and they're worried about them. But they, the way that they can access services in Mallow Hospital, and I suppose to prompt the question, I wanted to make sure that Mallow General Hospital was working to its full capacity and that there was a realisation, I suppose, what I wanted to put on the doll record is my own personal experience as a private citizen and indeed as a public representative my uh, gratitude to what is going on in Mallow Hospital and and it came out in the National Patient Survey the HICWA one in May Uh, glowing report glowing reports and that that is what people uh, you know people find when they go there that is the experience that patients have that's the experience that families have so you want to make sure it's been utilised utilised to its full Full capacity capacity. Okay. and then they came along and the first the second paragraph of it was that there was 20 vacancies and of course when you see 20 vacancies you say well there we are now we haven't manner utilised to its fullest extent possible and we are cramming everything into the city and you know everybody knows what is happening there and the challenges that are facing both the people the patients that are going in there and indeed the, the people that are working in the, in the health service in there the challenges are there so I probed the question now what I have uh, and uh, I was informed that the, that is not the case on the ground the HSC locally have categorically stated that there is no vacancies to that number in Maddow General Hospital and that there are that the, all the posts maybe one or two posts mightn't be filled at this stage but all other posts are being filled and that there's locums in and that there's people in it and what I am going to try and do is to try and ascertain we have a, re, a, um, a HSE meeting this afternoon in Cork which I am going to try and find out exactly what is the position in it but I do intend to bring this back to the floor of the doll again because it is vitally important that first of all that we have the people of, of this area for the Duhalla area and the North Cork region that they have full confidence in Mallow Hospital and that they understand that the best possible care has been given there and that if there's any discrepancy between budgets or anything else that we want to find out categorically 
how many vacancies are there and are they walking to their full extent Because possible? even if there is this mystery uh, 20 vacancies that the Minister believes there is, is the funding there for, for if there was 20 vacancies well, today? It, it, that's the point. He, you know, he has given a budget approximate of 17.5 million in 2018 in excess of 220 staff and 54 acute uh, beds. But like if there are vacancies, is there funding there for the, the vacancies and we need to ascertain that. I think I asked him in Subsequent questions uh, to it was the funding available, and then he gave. He went on to say that you know that there would be any vacancies that were there uh, when a decision taken by the South Southwest Hospital Group uh, to utilise them. And he went on to say that any vacancies that there would be advertised immediately. But I need to go back and I need to clarify absolutely at this afternoon's meeting, and indeed in uh, subsequent questions that I will be putting to the minister in the Dáil to ascertain exactly what is his understanding of it. Because I suppose what I would be challenging at this stage is, like, has the minister the full facts, you know, basic facts in relation to what's happening in each of the, the hospitals? Mallow Hospital to our region is as important as any of the city hospitals are in Dublin or in Galway or in Cork or anywhere else. And what we need to know is that the facts that are being presented to him by the HSE, are they being correlated correctly? And is the minister completely in charge or of of the knowledge and know what's happening on the ground because he can't make an informed decision on Mallow Hospital and on the services that are going to be provided in Mallow Hospital if this is the information that he can uh, give to Dáil Éireann that there's 20 vacancies when it doesn't exist on the ground. Yeah, but we do and I know later on in the programme we're going to be talking about the, the use of agency staff and the amount of money the HSC spend on agency staff. We do have a problem recruiting and retraining staff. We have a huge problem. Uh, and, you know, one of the very senior people that that um, I met with uh, in, in the course of, you know, interaction, normal family interaction with the HSE over the last while, a very senior person said to me that a lot of people are leaving the, 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 serv- the, the staff at the HSE because of the challenges that are being faced by the workers, the commitment that they have to give and the conditions that they're working under and the stress that they are working under. And he was making the point that one of the major issues is capacity and making sure that they're, you know, we can have all the figures and everything else, you know, over the Christmas period two years ago uh, in the CUH, there were bed closures because, you know, I, I saw it myself where where person was in, in the accident emergency for three or four nights and then they went up to a ward. There was a four bed ward there. There was only one bed occupied for the previous week in it. So there is a capacity there. And the phrase that that very senior person who has worked in the HSE for many, many years, he said, if there was proper capacity and if there was proper recognition of the working conditions for nurses and everybody else and he was referring to people that uh, immigrate or go overseas immediately after training and that he the phrase he used to me was that they would swim home if we could improve the working conditions of the people within the HSE and I think that's a real challenge that we have to face um, we have to face because you know we're constantly seeing getting people and maintaining people and when we have good staff like the staff that are in Mano Hospital very conscientious very dedicated to their job we must acknowledge that but we must also make sure that the facilities are there or the conditions are there to keep them. But this is more than just throwing money at it because it's all we ever seem to do with the health service. We just seem to I mean, they, they, they've just announced the winter plan and is it 30 million has gone into the winter plan? Well it is yeah but like you know throwing money at it wouldn't it beggar belief 
you know, when you put down a question and you give a week to the Minister for Health to correlate the facts that he needs to get before he answers a question. This question was answered on Wednesday and it would have gone down the previous Tuesday or Wednesday. And the Minister then comes in and he says that there's a va- there's 20 vacancies in a, in a, in a, a, a two hospital or a tier two hospital. Have they the, the possession of all the facts to make informed decisions about That's the That's a really good point. You know, it, 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 it is... It, this is really challenging to say that they haven't, you know, they can read this out emphatically in the Florida Learn as fact, as fact, after getting a week to prevent to prevent to present their uh, evidence. And then you come back and they say, well, if they aren't in full recognition of all the facts and have all the facts within their uh, brief, well, how can they make informed decisions about challenges that are facing, whether it is the South South West Hospital Group or any of the other hospital groups. And then in a subsequent question I asked, uh, you know, the 550 uh, home care packages that were announced uh, to release. Jim Daly announced, yeah. yeah. Now there's 250 of them coming in in 2018 and 250 of them coming in in 2019. They're already pulling back from what the announcement was. And like on the home care side I thought they were all part of the winter plan. Well, what he did say to me in a very short subsequent question I had on Wednesday morning because the time had gone out for us he said that uh, 250 of them would be put in in 2018 and 250 of them would be 2019. Oh, okay that's different to what the original announcement and, was. And, and the issue here is you know on the, the, the home health and so forth and we've had this discussion as, you know I, I mean you you go back to your point about trying money in it well if somebody the minister isn't hasn't the full facts well it's very difficult for the minister or the HSE to make informed decisions about what's needed across the, the, the health service. Okay come back to us when you get a, when you get a reply I on it, uh, Michael, I in the meantime. Will. Thank you for that and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, uh, Cork um, Northwest, uh, Fianna Fáil, Dáil Deputy at Michael Moynihan, 1850 We're taking a break. We've news at 11. Cork Today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie C103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Congratulations, Neve Callahan in Drimmer League. Neve has won our first magical Blarney Free Santa Friday tickets, a family pass to go to see Santa at Magical Blarney in this hour again. I will give you the cue to call which is Santa telling you now is the time to call. When you hear it you need to be called at 10 as Neva Callahan in Dreamer League was in the last hour to win that family pass to go to see Santa at Magical Blarney and of course uh, we'll do it again this hour and the next hour and the next hour also I'll have a clip from Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart playing Porky Cueve next May and we have a pair of tickets thanks to our good friends at Ticketmaster.ie to give away on the pro programme today. We had a call in earlier from Margaret to say that uh, uh, earlier this morning a guy had driven into Centra in Donorail and he had a trailer on the back of his car. Now I don't know whether he got petrol or whether he went into Centra maybe to get some breakfast or whatever. Anyway he came back out, got into his car and drove off. Now Margaret said he drove in the direction of Mallow but he left his trailer behind. Obviously the trailer wasn't hitched on properly. He was unaware, drove off and he's at some stage heading to his destination and he's going to realise that the trailer is gone and he won't have a clue where he lost it. It is parked safely, I'm told, at Centra in Donnera. And Margaret contacted us to see, in the hope that he might be listening to C103. So if that rings a bell, if you are driving at the moment, take a look in your rear view mirror. If your trailer is missing and you were earlier at Centra in Donnera, 
you need to do a U-turn and go back to Centre in Donora where your trailer is safely parked. And Martin in Mitchellstown was on just to warn people that because they, have, they often target areas, computer scammers doing the rounds this morning. He got a phone call, from a very friendly man this morning saying, hi, just want to let you know your internet connection, you've got a problem with it. I'm here on the line to help you out. I just need your bank details. Will you pass it on to me, please? Martin said he hung up and the reason he knew it was a scam, he doesn't have the internet in his house in uh, Mitchellstown. So they are just chancing their arm. But just to give the warning out to others, thank you. That's Martin in Mitchellstown. Now, earlier in the, at the start of the programme, I mentioned the HSE and their winter plan, which is kicking in for over a two or three week uh, period and they've put 30 million euro into this winter plan. But it straight away has been criticised by a number of groups, including the Irish Medical Organisation, who said it's a little too late. But the Irish Medical Organisation also say that in the interest of patient safety, 95% of patients should not wait longer than six hours from arrival at the emergency department until either they get admitted onto a ward or else they're told you're OK and they're discharged home. So they say 95% of people should be seen to and dealt with six hours are under. Now that certainly is not happening. Noreen heard me talk about that and she's contacted us with her story. Uh, good morning to you, Noreen. Good morning. You're out. Uh, you're, uh, good morning to you. You're out of hospital since Wednesday. Tell me your Wednesday story. Night. Wednesday night. Tell me your story and how long you ended up in CUH. I was admitted on the Tuesday at one. Got a trolley at, you know, 5pm. Um and remained on the trolley for my eight nights in the CUH. And were you in the emergency department for the eight nights or where were you? It's in the emergency department but it's a ward off the emergency department um, on a trolley, in a four cubicle trolley. I was very lucky. I consider myself extremely lucky. Um... It's actually that I was lucky to be on a trolley for eight nights. But I was because when I was coming home, I had to go through the emergency department to come out. And what I saw was absolutely horrific. What did you say? Old people, younger people, all on trolleys, sitting on chairs, relatives trying to look after them, medical staff trying to look after them. It's third world conditions. And I'm not complaining about the care in the hospital. It was absolutely brilliant from from everybody, the medical staff, the nurses, the doctors, the people giving you your food. Everybody was excellent. But they're working under horrendous conditions. And you obviously are pretty with it and able to speak up for yourself. And If I wasn't, I yeah. would yeah. be in trouble, yes. Yeah, you know, it's elderly people who don't have anybody in there advocating on their behalf. Exactly. They're the exactly. most vulnerable. Exactly. Like the nurses are doing their very best. They're great nurses. We have the best of nurses with the best medical staff. But... The conditions are not acceptable. It really is not acceptable for people to have to work in the conditions that a lot of those staff have to work in. 
So what? What? What's the what, from your point of view? From the from the eight nights that you did up there, what's the solution? More beds, more staff. More beds, more staff. They need a new hospital, but a new hospital is no use unless they can staff it, and they're not going to be able to staff it unless they're going to give better conditions to their staff. Like, as I said, we have great staff, but you can't expect them to work in those conditions. We need extra beds. I, the other, you know, the other hospitals, the private hospitals, can close their doors and say no more admissions, which they have to do. The public, like the CUH, the Mercy, they cannot close their doors. They have to keep taking patients while patients are coming in. But in order to be able to keep taking patients, you have to have somewhere to put them. And I mean somewhere safe. You see, I, I go back again, and this often comes up on the programme. Did they make a mistake when they closed the A&Es in Mallow and Bantry? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, um, the Mallow General Hospital, Bantry General Hospital, they're absolutely brilliant hospitals. They mightn't have got the top facilities for the, you know, the, the conditions that need the expert treatment, but so be it. Let those patients be transferred to the mm. major hospital. But a lot of the minor the, um, I don't mean minor, the minor incidents that come into any in the regional could yeah, be Yeah, and, and not, non, non-surgical things where, where people could be very unwell but need to be treated. Mm. They could be mm. done. I mean, we're not expecting them to be centres of excellence for cancer care no, or for no, triple bypasses no, and heart surgery and all that. But for, for, uh, but for the majority of the other, and it is the majority of the other illnesses, they could be and, and were and are centres of excellence. And I, and, I, I, and I remember at the time when they were closing the A&Es, everybody said, you know, they're going to funnel everybody up to the city. And so suddenly everybody from Cork City and County who has an emergency is going to have to end up at mm. you know, the CUH or the, or, or the Mercy South Infirmary, whichever uh, ED department is open. And everyone was saying at the time, these hospitals are going to be so overcrowded. And it's exactly Absolutely. what has happened. Exactly, absolutely. And, you know, there is a fierce patient um, risk. You know, you cannot treat patients on trolleys. No matter how good a nurse or a doctor you are, you cannot treat a patient on a hospital hospital trolley. And And I imagine frightfully uncomfortable, and particularly if you're unwell. How did, did you manage to sleep during the eight nights? No, I'd say I got about 12 hours sleep in the eight nights. Good God, that doesn't, yeah, they're, they're not the most but comfortable. Now, they're not, some of them are worse than others, I suppose. I was looking, I was on one of the better trolleys. Um, but, no, it's um, it's not acceptable. And I actually think the minister should be brought down into the midst of it. Unknown to anybody and let him see what is going on. But Noreen, at any stage, did they say to you, we're going to get you a bed or we're looking for a bed or we might have a bed oh, for you yeah. tomorrow. Oh, oh yeah, they were looking for a bed. But I didn't, they didn't have the bed. They did not have the bed. And, and no, you I say there was another three. three. There's another three trolleys in that. In with you. Ward, yeah. And like, the, you know, it's an E&E department so like you have a continuous um, a 
admission of patients into those trolleys, you know, like the turnover is absolutely phenomenal. So the noise level. And well, then yeah, you, you know, able the to hear. can't do anything about that. You know, it's, yeah. it's, but it's just, it's a whole, um, it's a whole area that needs, you know, they're talking about um, preparing for the, from whatever time in December until January. Yeah, the, for the it, winter it, plan. It can't get much worse than what it is. If it does, it's going to be absolutely dreadful. And I am sure some patients do have to fall between, between the cracks. Um, because, Something has to go wrong. And when and we were talking about. about during those eight days, the eight nights that you were on that trolley, that would have been the period um, last week and the week before when we were talking about the all records were broken for the number of people on mm. trolleys by the INMO mm. account. You wouldn't have been counted as one of those. No, would, no. no because yeah. I was actually admitted. So once you're admitted, you're not on the trolley list where I was on a trolley and all those patients were on trolley even though they had been admitted. So yeah. it is very difficult for the staff. It yeah, is very it is. difficult for it the staff. It is, uh, yeah, um, and you can understand you know, why why, sta- why nurses are, particularly the young nurses, they get their qualification oh yeah, and they're on the plane in the boat and they're taken off and, and they're, they're going to, yeah. So it's, so we definitely, we need we need more beds more bed, more, more yeah. Maybe start looking again at Mallow and Bantry. And I know they t- they have those step down facilities at Clonic Clon Hospital, which seemingly are working out really well. Uh, where people who are in CUH they still need care, but not ready to go home yet. They're from West Cork. They can go to Clonakilty. That's proving mm-hmm. very successful. There's only twelve beds, but it's very successful. I mean, could we start looking at that uh, more in in other uh, in like Bantry and Mallow, for example? Could they even offer something like that? But you're right, something. Uh, something has to happen something has to give because people are dying exactly. people are dying exactly. because, because of this and of course the longer you're in which we had the, the junior health minister say to us to encourage people to get out of hospital the longer the, you're in the higher the chance you have of picking up an infection absolutely absolutely were you and nervous not, of that when you were in was that well, on your I mind was in, I was in with an infection but I was I was nervous but they were very good they were on top of everything were they um, they were. They were really very, very good. They were on top of everything. Um, and it's not for myself that I'm highlighting this. I know. It's for other patients. I'm out at the other side of it, at the right side of it. But I do pray for everybody that goes in there every night and that they'll get out safely because it's a tough, tough station. Yeah, Barry says the biggest uh, issue is the, that the nurses should be paid better, uh, but it is also all of the paperwork that is so time consuming for the HSE and for the nurses. Uh, the but the nurses would actually tell you, Patricia, that, you know, they want more money. They want to be paid better, but that's not what they're fighting for. They're fighting for the safety of their patients. They will tell you that. Mm-hmm. And that's a sad state. But, you know, they're not looking for, they're, they're not looking for huge pay increases or anything. They'll take them if they'll get them without any shadow of a doubt. But their main priority is their patient care and the safety of their patient care, which is very difficult. Someone says, why not use nursing home beds to take the pressure off hospitals? People could recover uh, there. Yeah, that's okay to say that, but, you know, if you're ill, you need to be in a hospital. 
you know, not in a nursing home situation and fine for taking people off, you know, out of the wards that are ready to go home but have nobody to take them home. Yeah. That's fine. But for the patient that's going in sick, that's not, it, it probably in the long run will solve a bed here and there but not, not, not what's needed. Okay. All right, and and you're you're better, or you're on the road I'm, to recovery. I'm Thank on God. the road to recovery. Thank God, and, and you're, on the road to you're home for Christmas, which is the main thing as well. All right, God. listen. Thanks Thank a million. God. Good insight thanks into into what it's Thank like. You. Thanks for joining us. Bye bye. Eighteen fifty at three 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 one zero three. Hi, Trish says Conor and McCroom. This will cheer us all up. Michael Bublé is on the late late tonight, as is the Taoiseach. So one will cheer us up and one will depress us, says Connor. <laughs> and I'm not even going to ask you who's going to cheer you up and who's going to depress you out of the two. But yeah, they, they, it's a str- and David Williams is on. It's quite a strong uh, lineup tonight. Thank you, Connor, for that. We were talking about how much people are spending at Christmas uh, earlier on when a report has come out that says the boom is back. And not since the time of the Celtic Tiger, uh, our shoppers are expected to have the biggest spending spree since the Celtic Tiger years. A listener says, uh, as a €500 a week earner, I cannot afford to spend €500 at Christmas time. Most of my workmates are in a similar position. I think the figure given is hype and designed to pressurise parents to spend what is outside their capacity to save and spare. Lenders will have a bumper 2019 on the interest of the Christmas borrowing, heating, insurance and replacement of household items as well as car insurance and repairs seems to eat away any savings. So even if you do manage to put a little bit of away every week, any one, all you need is one thing to go wrong. You know, the cooker stops working, the fridge breaks down and if you've got to have an an item like that replaced at some stage during the year straight away, any bit of savings yet away for Christmas will literally be gone. 1850 John Paul takes your calls, text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs a person is wanted for housekeeping. This is in the Bohabui area. It's for cleaning, laundry and meal preparation. Horizon Roofing, they're looking for experienced roofers and labourers for immediate start. And Araglin House in Bohabui, they're looking for a kitchen assistant and a housekeeper. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. We're talking about overcrowding in hospitals and the winter plan from the HSE. Sandy says the Urnville Maternity Hospital was closed years ago. What function is it doing now? It's like others with gates locks, locked and with security paid to look after an empty building. It could have been used as a step down facility for minor issues. If the minister announced he was calling in the morning, I'm sure patients would be moved off corridors into wars with doors closed for the duration of the visit, allegedly. It happened in a Dublin hospital when Minister Mary Harney was Minister for uh, Health and she was there to visit her mother. Uh, so says Sandy by text to 0862103103. We're going to stay on the topic of health because I think a lot of people will be shocked to hear that almost 100 million euro 
has been spent on agency staff since 2010 to fill staff vacancies at our hospitals. And that figure of €100 million is just for Cork hospitals. Cork North Central TD Jonathan O'Brien joins me to discuss these figures uh, in more detail. Good morning to you, Jonathan. Morning. Uh, you're, you're welcome to the programme. Now, the ILMO says agency nurses typically get paid 20% more than a full-time staff nurse. So is there a huge amount of money being wasted on agency staff? There is. There is a huge amount. If you go back to 2010, um, just as the crash was happening, we were spending in the region of about £82.5 on agency staff um, in the acute hospitals alone. And fast forward seven, eight years, we're now spending up to £160 million just on the acute hospital setting alone, an increase of 91% just in agency staff numbers. The figures actually get worse when you look at the Cork area. In the Cork Kerry area, which is known as the CHO Area 4, in 2010, we were spending £1.5 million. We've gone up to £7 million alone now, just in the acute hospitals for the Cork Kerry area, an increase of nearly 400%. Why is Cork so bad? I don't know why Cork is so bad. Uh, there are there are differences in the areas, um, but all areas are spending huge amounts in relation to agency staff. Uh, and it really comes down to the issue of uh, recruitment and retention mm. of our nursing staff. We the, the unions have consistently said that we have an issue in relation to recruitment and in retention and the government has failed to address it and they're continuing to fail in addressing that issue. And until we do, the bill for agency staff is going to keep increasing. I mean, there will always be a need for agency staff. I mean, and there, and there always has been. People will ring in sick and there's nobody available and there's holiday cover and maternity leave and all of that. So I, so I you know, absolutely accept we'll always have to have some element of, of agency yeah. staff. But these figures are just staggering and they're getting worse year on year. And you're right, you've hit the nail on the head. We have a recruitment and a retention problem. How do we solve that recruitment and retention problem? Well, we have the public pay service agreement, which is in place now. And as you know, the INMO are currently balloting um, on industrial action in relation to that. The government uh, have attempted to address the issue of pay parity within the public service. Um, so, in other words, pay equalisation for staff which was recruited post-2011. Um, the difficulty is they're not proposing to deal with that until 2026, so another eight years. Um, we also have the issue of um, rowing back on some of the cuts to pay under FEMPI over the last number of years. And the government are doing that very, very gradually. Um, the only way I can see it happening is is that the minister sits down with the union and we negotiate um, a, a new pay agreement. Now, whether that's going to happen or not, uh, I'm unsure. We're one year into the, a three-year programme at the moment. But it's very clear, one year into a three-year programme, we have teachers balloting for industrial action, mm. we have nurses balloting for industrial action, and we have the minister digging his heels in. He made some comments the weekend before last when he said that he could not give in to the pay demands of nurses because to do so would compromise the budgetary position. And my argument to him is that 
by failing to sit down and negotiate with the nurses and with the INMO, he is actually compromising our health service. And the fact, you know, um, and uh, again, it was a, another topic we touched on uh, today, patients on uh, trolleys and, you know, they broke all kinds of records uh, last month. This is a direct, does it, this is directly linked, isn't it, to the fact that we don't have enough staff in our hospitals? It, it is, of course. I mean, we are, next week we're going to have the rollout of the winter initiative. Yeah. And I met officials from the INMO last week. Uh, and they were giving us some of the information in relation to where we are at the moment. We're actually working under capacity at the moment in most hospitals because we don't have the staff. Uh, and so the winter initiative is going to bring more beds uh, into the system. But we don't even have enough staff to cater for the amount of beds we currently have. So, I mean, this winter initiative, the minister can roll it out and he can provide the extra resources in order to open up more beds for the next four weeks. But he's not providing the staff then, he's not providing the resources to staff it. And what that means is that uh, the current staffing levels that we have are being put under even more pressure. Uh, And it's just a never-ending cycle. And it all comes back to an underinvestment in health year on year on year. And that is evident from the supplementary estimates which we have to pass every single year to plug the hole in uh, the deficiency in health funding. And that figure seems to get higher and higher uh, every every year. And let's not forget when this plan goes in uh, goes in on the 17th of December and runs through until January the 13th, you know, one of the big parts is uh, patients on waiting lists. Their waiting lists will just get longer because there'll be all the scheduled surgeries and the diagnostics right. will, all, will all be cancelled. So when we come back off the back of this after the 13th of uh, January, our waiting lists are just longer. So people are getting thicker. Wait. Correct. And, and I think it's, it, and I, I don't think we should forget that when all of the surveys are done in relation to patient satisfaction, once you get into the system, I mean, we, they have very high satisfaction um, rates. So it's once you get into the system is not the issue. The issue is trying to get into the system and the waiting list. Uh, and I think it's a testament to the nurses and the doctors and the consultants that patient satisfaction is actually so high. I know. Uh, given, given the conditions that they are being forced to endure and try and work under, um, it, it's it's really a testament to their own dedication. But the health overruns have to be addressed. They have to be addressed. And until the government face up to that reality, I don't see any um, prospect of this improving. Yeah, it's, it's it's worse, it seems to be getting. I can even see uh, comments coming in from uh, from listeners. I mean, as soon as you mention an A&E department, you know, I just spoke with one of our listeners who did eight nights on a trolley, but she wasn't counted in the trolley figures because she was put into a, a side ward off A&E. She basically was in A&E for the eight days of her treatment on a trolley. Yeah, and I mean, even when we argue with the government in relation to trolley numbers, uh, there are different ways of counting them. The INMO count everyone that's on a trolley, everyone that's in a side ward, everyone that's in a chair, whereas the government, when they're talking about trolley numbers, they're talking about people who are just physically on a trolley in a corridor. Um, They don't count those that are in side wards or those who have to spend the night on a chair. Um, So, I mean, look, it's a crisis. There is no doubt it's a crisis. Um, 
And the answer is not just about funding. There are uh, savings which can be made. There are improvements in scheduling and rostering. And the the issue I have is the, the unions are willing to address all of them. But the government has to meet them halfway. They have to meet them halfway, particularly on pay, um, because unless we deal with the issue of pay, we're not going to get to the crux of the issue, which is the recruitment and retention. Yeah. Okay. All right, Jonathan. Listen, thank you for that, and uh, thanks thank for joining us. Good, good morning to you. Uh, bye bye. Some of your texts coming in. John says 300 people die every year as a result of A&E overcrowding. Dr. Fergal Hickey, an A&E consultant at Sligo Hospital, was on the media highlighting this issue, but the government just seems to be ignoring it. The latest debacle at Kerry Hospital is another symptom of the state of the HSE, says John. Well, someone else says the powers that be are brainless. What else could be expected when the A&E in Mallow has been closed down? And I'll add in the A&E in Bantry as well. Could we please have brain scans for politicians prior to an election to make sure they actually have one like? Because the whole system is uh, is a joke. And I'm assuming that the comment has come in uh, rather tongue in uh, cheek. Um, and lots of people saying it is just would be would be somebody saying those two texts in a similar thing saying I would be afraid to go into A and E. People are simply avoiding it. You would have to be really, really unwell to go to A and E. Who would want to remain on, on a trolley? Yeah. And that's what makes it so um, sad, I suppose, when you hear about all these people on trolleys and listening to Noreen talking about what she witnessed on the eight nights in CUH. You know, nobody goes up there because they've got a, a pain in their big toe. People who go to the A&E are, they, are there because they are really unwell and they have soul searched about going to the A&E department and then th- to think you can be left on a trolley or worse, you won't even get a trolley, you're left sitting on a chair. And then we have the I, the Irish Medical Organisation saying that in the interests of patient safety, 95% of people that come through the door of an A&E department should be dealt with in six hours or under from arrival at the emergency department until either they get admitted onto a ward or they get discharged home. And listening to Noreen with her eight nights on a trolley on a side ward from the accident in an emergency department. She certainly waited much longer than uh, six hours. Congratulations to Anthony Pickford in Limerick. Congratulations, Anthony. He has won the magical Blarney Free Santa Friday uh, tickets. We played the cute call a couple of moments ago. So Anthony has won a family pass for four people to go to see Santa at Magical Blarney and we will do it again. It's running, by the way, until Christmas Eve and we have another family pass to give away in the next hour and also in the next hour we'll give the Magical Blarney tickets away and we'll also give uh, Rod Stewart tickets away when Rod Stewart plays Porky Creeve on Saturday, May 25th. But Anthony Pickford in Limerick, our winner for this hour. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And can I give a reminder to you, please, that there is a fundraising dance in aid of the Irish Community Air Ambulance. It's on tonight in the Beira 
Coast Hotel in Castletown there with music by Martin Carney and Derry Kennedy. Doors will open at nine tonight with dancing kicking off at half past nine until midnight. Tickets are 10 uh, euro and thanks to Michael O'Sullivan in Castletown Bear for sending me the text asking me to remind listeners of that and thank you for your kind comments at Michael. That's tonight. Bear Coast Hotel in aid of the wonderful community air uh, ambulance. Now Father Luke Damasi is an American priest with the Catholic Order Home of the Mother and he has contacted us with an appeal for blankets and duvets for Pilgrims coming to Ireland next year. Father Luke Damasi joins me. Uh, good morning to you, Father Luke. Good morning. Uh, you're welcome. Firstly, tell me a bit about your work here in Cork. I believe you were invited by Bishop William Crane to work with secondary school students. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. It's um, actually very exciting for us because it's our, a big mission for our community. So he invited us in September and we're going to be going through the whole Diocese of Cloyne, um, visiting all the secondary schools. Um, giving them retreats, giving our testimony, and uh, yeah, just kind of you know giving them an experience of of God. So it's it's amazing. And how many of you have travelled to Ireland to Cork? So the community um, were four: two priests and two brothers. We're all American, um, and we've been in Spain actually the last ten years. That's where the community was actually founded um, about twenty five years ago. Now, your order may not be known. I certainly hadn't heard about it before. It's Servants of the Home of the Mother. As you say, founded 20... It was under Pope John Paul II's reign, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Um, And, uh, yeah, so our our founder is Spanish, and um, the community has uh, been born with uh, three missions, the defense of the Eucharist, the defense of our Blessed Mother, especially in her virginity, and uh, the conquest of the young people for Christ. So that's where we come in with the youth. And people may remember there was a very sad case and it was one of our own, uh, a Sister Claire Crockett from Derry. That's wasn't, right. Wasn't Sister Claire part of your order? Yes, so she would be a servant sister of the Home of the Mother, um, the the female branch. Um, there are a lot um, more numerous than the masculine. There are 150, 150 um, sisters were, as the brothers were still 30. Um, we're growing, but uh, yeah, slowly. And so Sister Claire Crockett, we've kind of... Um, you know, started our community here under her protection. We believe that she's kind of behind us in our presence here in Ireland. And an uh, absolutely amazing story. She died um, 33 years young. This would have been two years ago in Ecuador, giving her life. She has. Uh, she was an actress when she was uh, when she was younger. And um, she has actually. There's a documentary on YouTube. I invite everybody to check her out. Sister Claire Crockett's absolutely amazing story. And she died in the the in the earthquake in Ecuador, wasn't it? That's right. And um, we actually, our community does work a lot with uh, social media, and uh, we're in um, the brothers. We're actually making a short, kind of a like a shorter documentary on her life. It would be about eight minutes long, and we're going to be putting that on in a lot of these secondary schools because, um, I mean, like you said, she's one of your own. She's Irish, yeah. and I. I just, I, I just remember. I remember when the news broke and her gorgeous, happy, smiling face, oh, smiling yeah. out at us in all the newspapers. This young, vibrant nun, uh, who's yeah. you know, who died at thirty-three. Uh, you know, out doing fantastic work in Ecuador. It was just so sad. Yeah, it was sad. At the same time, we were. I mean, we're already seeing her. You know, her her fruit as well. Like the Lord said, you know, the grain of wheat dies, but um. To give fruit, and we actually are seeing that. We're seeing her huge testimony. When you talk to her, to the young people, they just their faces in some way just kind of light up, and it it gives them hope. You know that 
she did give up a lot, a, a big acting career, but um, she found the biggest thing in this life. And, and the young people are just, they're really taken to her. So it's, great. it's, beautiful. it's beautiful. That is great. Okay, tell me about the, you've, you're bringing 45 people from Spain, is it? You're yes. bringing them here <laughs> in April. Yes. What's the plan? Yes. So um, we're going to be, this is actually going to be in um, the Resurrection Sunday, which is the 21st of April. And it's going to go until Saturday, which is the 27th. And um, they're going to be coming. It's, the ages vary. Um, I'm a little bit more worried about the elderly, um, the elderly pilgrims, because they're coming from warm, sunny Spain. But um, we're going to be starting in uh, Ardmore. We're going to be visiting some of the monastic foundations of St. Declan and uh, St. Finbar that would be um, in Guggenbara and, and around Ardmore. Um, so there, there's actually a retreat center called Nakadun, and um, we would need some blankets and duvets or something, you know, to, to provide because they're coming in on Ryanair. And you can't bring too much um, baggage. <laughs> okay, and they ha- so, you, you have beds, but you just don't have the blankets and the duvets, is it? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So. And where is, in, in, uh, Nakadun is, is in outside Yall, is it? Um, yeah, it would, be, it would be a little bit, yeah, closer to this, though. That's, yeah, it's still in County Cork. Yeah. And that's and where the camp. The first, that's right. We're at least based there for at least three. You know, it's going to be the first three days, and then the next three days is going to be in uh, Termenbaca. That's in Derry because um, our end end will be Sister Claire's grave. That's kind of like the pilgrim, you know, um, goal. And like Spain is also very on fire with Sister Claire, which is which is beautiful. Um, they, a lot of a lot of Spanish would know her story because she did spend a lot of time in, in Spain. Spain so, yeah. Like I said, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you're looking for anyone that has spare duvets or blankets or pillows that they would be willing to donate to you for the Spanish pilgrims in April. How can they contact you if they have anything that they'd like to pass on? Well, um, they can contact me either by email, um, which is Luke, L-U-K-E, Maria, M-A-R-I-A, 48 at gmail.com. Or they can can call me on on this number, which is uh, 083 341 2210 Okay, um, and we, we have all those on file if uh, if anybody sure. has it. And are you enjoying your time in Ireland, Luke? Oh, we're loving it. We're we're having an absolute <laughs> blast here and it's kind of exotic I think for the Irish guys. They they kind of just see these, you know, American priests with their, you know, the casting and everything and just kind of it calls the attention, but, you know, it's great. It's great. we got one of the priests here who does a lot of juggling, too. So kind of, you know, we, we catch their attention and then we, you know, try to give them a Because you're message, all young. So. You're all young priests and brothers. Yeah, we would. Yeah. Um, myself, I'm I'm 32. And Father Nate's 33. And then the other guys are 28 and uh, 29. So... You're bucking, you're, you're bucking the trend because we have, a, we have a problem with trying to get young vocations in this country. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, in, in everything that the church has suffered and what's going on, but um, I think it's also you know a breath of fresh air that we're totally on fire and in love with God and the priesthood, and um, it's it's a positive. You know, it's positive just to give them what the priesthood really is. You know, to give them that positive side. Even though there's so much negative going on, there yeah. is a positive side. Absolutely. Okay, Luke. Listen, thank you for that, and um, continue to enjoy your your stay in Ireland. And we hope you get loads of duvets and pillows and blankets <laughs> for <laughs> for, the, for the pilgrims from Spain. Thanks for joining us, Father Luke. Thank you so much, Patricia. Good Bye. morning, dear. Bye bye, Father Luke Damasi. As I say, from an order I hadn't heard of before, servants of the home of the mother. But I do clearly remember uh, Sister Claire Crockett, that young dairy nun who died in the earthquake in uh, Ecuador back in 2016. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
We do have more Santa Claus tickets to give away this hour because today is a magical Blarney free Santa Friday. So we have more of those tickets, a family pass to give away. And we'll do that a little bit later on in this hour because I want to do this now. We've been holding all day for this one. Now, there's a well-known Rod Stewart song. What is the name of that well-known Rod Stewart song? If you know the answer, you need to be caller 10 to 1850-333-103 to get through to John Paul now. And caller 10, who identifies... Pretty easy one. If you know that song, uh, if you are caller 10 and you identified, you will win a pair of tickets to go to see Rod Stewart playing Porky Cueve Saturday, May the 25th. Tickets, by the way, are available at Ticketmaster.ie. They make the perfect Christmas gift but your chance to win a pair now so get dialing on that uh, to see Rod Stewart live at Porky Queef on the 25th of May while we're waiting our winner there let me go to some of your calls that have come in now earlier this morning actually it was probably the first text that I received this morning from a listener who was thinking about one of our callers during the week Phil was on to us she has been thinking about Eileen who was on with John Paul on Tuesday when I was off who shared her story of uh, homelessness and her need for accommodation. She'd been on with me earlier on in the summer and she's getting very frantic and very desperate and she's couch surfing and she's been sleeping in her car for a period of time and she really needs to get housing and she's a son coming home for Christmas and she doesn't want her son coming home for Christmas to see and to spend Christmas with his, with his mum in emergency accommodation and she's falling between the cracks because there's an argument going on. Is she with Limerick Council our issue with Cork County Council and it's it's just it's a, she's just finds herself in a right uh, pickle and Phil was on has obviously been thinking about poor old uh, Eileen so Phil was on to say was there any update and I did mention that behind the scenes we were doing our bit uh, to try to get things sorted out for uh, Eileen and we've been speaking with people in Limerick County Council because we now realise it's Limerick County Council is where Eileen has to go for her HAP but the problem that John Paul has been coming up against is that the the person he really needs to speak with is on holidays and is not back until Monday. So we kind of hit a brick wall with Limerick County Council. So then we decided we'd go the political route. So we've contacted Minister Patrick O'Donovan, who is based in Newcastle West. And we've spoken with his secretary. We have relayed Eileen's situation and they are now looking into it. And uh, Patrick O'Donovan is the Minister for State at the Department of Finance and the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform. So uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, maybe going the political route, we may be able to get Eileen sorted out. So we certainly won't have anything before close of the programme today. But uh, if someone reminds me about it on Monday, I'll do my best to try to hopefully see if we did something come in over the weekend. So fingers crossed and keep keep Eileen in your thoughts and uh, prayers. It's just dreadful to be in a situation like that, especially so close, so close to uh, Christmas. We were discussing the hospital situation and trolley situation and people accessing A&E and we're going to hear later on this hour from another listener who's contacted us with her uh, story. But Noreen McCroom said she was reading something that she says she believes was said by Councillor Noel Collins, who is a Middleton-based councillor where he had suggested that money from the National Lottery should be used to be pumped into the health uh, service. 
Noreen and McCroom reckons there isn't a person in this country who would mind if funds from the lottery was put in to fund our hospitals. But again, we go back to what everybody seems to believe, that it, it doesn't seem to be a funding issue. Like every time the hospitals look for more money, you know, supplementary budgets are brought up. I mean, Jonathan... Deputy Jonathan O'Brien mentioned that every year there's a supplementary budget there's going to be a supplementary budget this year so every time they look for more money they get more money so it doesn't always it just it's how the money is spent I think is, is the bigger problem but you are right Noreen and Councillor Noel Collins is right there is no one would object to lottery money being put into fund to the hospitals in England they, they do their national lottery don't they have sort of two national lotteries they have the one and then they have a separate one running that does specifically go towards funding the NHS. So when you go to play your lottery, it's up to you whether you wanted to go to good causes or whether you wanted to go to the the NHS. So whether we we would look at something here, I don't know. But thank you for that. We what else is in? Oh, by WhatsApp. Michael says, Patricia, recently in my travels, I happened to attend Mass in a pretty large church. But what really shocked me was the audible conversations that were going on inside in the church, both before and after Mass. It was most disgusting to listen to and most distracting for those who sincerely came into the church to pray in silence and peace for whatever reasons they were there for. I'm not saying that I'm more holy than thou, but my God, I was always taught you had respect and you respect the silence of the Church of God. I also noticed then on leaving the church, they all immediately disbanded as they came out, not even bidding each other goodbye, even those that were having full-blown conversations when they were inside in the church. I really felt sorry for the elderly people who you could see were really trying to say their prayers and tried to say it in a bit of peace and quiet. It seems to me that people do not realise how they are disturbing others by having these very audible conversations thanking you says uh, Michael and uh, it's a good text and wondering has anybody else noticed that that when you're in a church is there it's respect I suppose isn't it is there less respect now than there was I mean certainly when I was growing up you would not have you barely whispered inside in the church and when you went in and, and people did go to church early you know and, and I'm, I'm assuming a number of people still do it today you'll have people who'll go maybe 20 minutes half an hour earlier because they have prayers they want to say they have intentions and things they're trying to pray for or they might like to do the rosary or whatever it is uh, so they go early and when you're going into the church to pray I mean it is a very private thing I think Michael is right. You do need to have a bit of peace and uh, quietness. But then, you know, it's the house of the Lord. Is it a place to meet people? Do people feel that, that you know, it's, it's a friendly place? And if you're seeing your neighbour that maybe you haven't seen since the previous Sunday, should it's in, not a bad time to do a bit of a catch up? Or should you wait, as Michael said, until you leave the church and have that conversation after Mass when everything is finished? Maybe head away, head away there and, and go to Mass, do it that way uh, instead. Uh, anyway, your thoughts welcomed uh, on that. Is Michael right or wrong? Have, have others noticed it, that there just seems to be less respect in our churches than there was, say, for previous generations, particularly around this whole issue of silence and peace and being respectful of other people when they're going into Mass to say uh, a few prayers. I'd be interested in your thoughts on that one eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three, or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 This is, there a name on this? Um, no, uh, there isn't. Anyway, Patricia, it's by WhatsApp. Once again, a poke in the eye for Paddy. 
What are we talking about? An insurance broker gone bust. Kudos, this was the insurance company we heard about yesterday. It's a Danish insurance company. How many people, says this WhatsApper, are driving with no cover in Ireland and am I supposed to be safe on the road with my car fully insured when who knows how many are going to work today with no car insurance at all? Is it safe for me to use my car but not to worry? I'll have to pay for them in my insurance policy next time anyway. I would say some I I will say something. We are the paying paddies of the EU. Just give the idiots of the EU something else to concern their minds with. So they tell us that Shane McGowan's fairy tale of New York is to be banned as the word faggot is offensive. What a joke we are, the laugh of the EU. I don't know if it's the EU have anything to do with the Shane McGowan song. I don't think that's coming from the EU. That's coming from people who are becoming very politically correct because on, on Monday we spoke about that with Baby It's Cold Outside and that some radio stations have decided to ban it and we know that other radio stations with Shane McGowan on that sign you, you maggot you scumbag you cheap lousy faggot I know the BBC for example have bleeped out or faded out the word faggot and they've, they did that a number of years ago I don't think it's got, got anything to do with the EU but anyway you're, you're sidetracking me there on your other issue with this kudos this Danish Danish insurance uh, company yeah that is a big worry to see another insurance company go to the wall and you are right we all end up paying well we all end up paying for people who drive around uninsured are when an insurance company goes to the wall even though I did hear yesterday anyone who was with that company would have been through a broker and you were told to go back to your broker at no extra cost to the person you just get transferred over to another insurance company but it is a worry I absolutely I absolutely agree with you. It certainly is a worry when an insurance company, when that happens to uh, an insurance company. 1850 Couple of texts in. Sandy says, this is on Leo Varadkar on the late, late tonight and somebody reckons Michael Bublé and there was a text in earlier, kind of a funny tongue-in-cheek text from Conor and McCroom uh, saying this will cheer us up. Michael Bublé is on the late late tonight as is the Taoiseach. One will cheer us up and one will depress us as Conor and McCroom and we were leaving it to people's imaginations who you, who you felt would cheer you up and who you felt would depress you. Well Sandy says certainly Mr Leo Varadkar will not de- depress any audience tonight. He'll be bullish and upbeat about the economy. He'll quote the expected Christmas spend putting out that according to the survey it's due to boosted income of everyone due to the government's handling of the economy. He will not refer to trade unions or St Vincent de Paul figures or those on false schemes with part-time working earnings or fifth family income supplement which has been handed to low earners. Smiles all round. He has better PR than Kenny Cowan and Martin all put together says Sandy who almost sounds uh, like he is looking forward to seeing uh, Enda Kenny seeing Leo Radker tonight on the Late Late along with Michael Bublé love to watch Michael Bublé he always comes across as such a nice guy he's sort of one of those guys you think oh I'd love to go to dinner or go for a drink with him and David Williams and I'm a huge huge fan of David Williams as well and he's on tonight so it's going to be a bit, a bit of a corker 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie 
St. Joseph's Foundation in Charleville as we speak they are holding their indoor Christmas market it's on from now until 3 o'clock this afternoon at the campus in Charleville Christmas trees wreaths and unusual gifts and you also get a chance to visit uh, Santa Claus and Kilcoe National School in Skibbereen they're hosting their annual School Bazaar that's on tonight at half past 6 features Lucky Dip Wheel of Fortune Cakes and Crafts Santa will also be visiting he's a busy man at the moment a fun and novel fancy dress pub table quiz will be held in Moscarbury tonight with quiz rounds being held in three local pubs and of course Santa Mrs Claus and the elves will all be on hand prize for the best dressed team proceeds going to our Scarberry ladies football team that sounds like an absolute hoot of a night out Mam- Mallow Racing Pigeon Club they've got a presentation tonight half past seven in the Bridge House Bar in Mallow all are welcome the Christmas lights are going to be switched on in Burnford Village that's happening tonight at eight o'clock while Clyde Rovers holding their lotto draw in Derry, Derry Murphy's Railway Bar uh, tonight with a jackpot of €12,500 with Christmas hampers also up for grabs. And Sean and Noreen McSweeney of Cloda Dreamer League will have their Christmas lights display up until January the 8th. They're raising funds for local West Cork charities and also Marymount Hospice. Please go along and support. And a spinathon in aid of the wonderful penny dinners will be held in Ross Centre, Watergrass Hill tomorrow from 8am in the morning until 10am you please ask to support Court Today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow it's family run so your loved one will feel at home see breedhaven.ie C103 and congratulations to Olivia Maguire who is from Kilmallock Olivia correctly identified it was Maggie May was the Rod Stewart song she was caller number 10 and I'm told Olivia is working in Charleville Foods and they've been listening all week trying to enter the competition and they're an excited bunch today because Olivia has managed to win two tickets to Rod Stewart playing Porky Cueve. Now I don't know if she's bringing a work colleague with her or not but congratulations to you Olivia and tickets are available at ticketmaster.ie and they say that the Rod Stewart tickets make the perfect Christmas gift. Hello, Santa here. Call now to win your family pass to Magical Blarney. 1850-333-103. C103. And while we are waiting on our winner there, let me go to the phone lines where Sarah in Bantry joins me. Uh, Good afternoon to you, Sarah. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're welcome. We've been talking about A&E and uh, we had Noreen's story of her eight nights on a trolley in A&E in CUH, well, in a side room. Uh, And then we were hearing how the Irish Medical Organisation say that in the interest of patient safety, 95% of patients should not wait any longer than six hours from arrival in the emergency department until you either get admitted to a ward or you get discharged home. You went to the Mercy A and E. How did you? Were you done? Yeah, were you done and well, dusted in six I was, hours? I was. I was there from seven o'clock in the evening, and I got seen about three o'clock in the morning. Um, I'd had an experience previously in September. I was taken by ambulance to the Mercy, okay. and I just want to say my whole experience now, unfortunately for me, was awful. But the ambulance service to the resource people to the it was fantastic. I couldn't fault a single person. But um, my doctor sent me back up last Tuesday week uh, via A&E. And, oh, my God, the the whole experience was horrendous. Now, no fault of any staff member. 
but like you're inside in the waiting room in the Mercy. I've never been to any before in my life. You're inside in the waiting room. And there's a glass box where three security guards were sitting. And I was sitting and I said to my husband, I wonder why they're in a glass box. I now know. There was women and fathers with their babies waiting to be seen. There was elderly women that had been there since five o'clock that afternoon and at two o'clock in the morning were seen. And she hadn't eaten or had a drink of water or nothing because there's two vending machines in the in the waiting room. The lady had no change. She had no money on her. Like, oh. you know, she had come straight, you know. And I she was thought, on her, was she on her own? Yeah, her son had dropped her off and she, and she had sent him home because I'd, I think he had children or something. Yeah. Um, so she had sent him home. So she was sitting in the waiting room and she said, I didn't think I'd be here this long. She was feeling weak from the height of hunger. You know, obviously, of course she was. Um... And when she did get seen, I'd say she was only there 20 minutes and was sent out the door again, you know. So yeah. I just wonder, I know, the triage, I think the triage part of it, I was only there an hour when I was seen by triage. So okay. that part was very fast. It was the next part. The waiting. Then, yeah, but it, what happened in the waiting room was an absolute disgrace. Now, as I said, there was babies and there was toddlers there as well. And only for my husband being there, I would have got back in my car and gone home. Why? There was drug addicts. There was alcoholics. There was homeless. And I counted, there was 22 of us to be seen, and eight of them were homeless. You, you know, you're not the first person that I have heard say that the A&E departments are being, you know, used is probably the wrong word, but homeless people have started to realise. Yeah. Yeah, I can and guess. it was very clever. One man went up to the counter, now he had a cough. But it, I mean, to be honest, it wasn't a serious cough. Nothing that the doctor couldn't have given him a bottle for, you know? Yeah. And he went up to the counter and he said this, and they said to him, you know, you could see your doctor tomorrow. Go to your GP, He was drunk yeah. as well, also. He was drunk. And uh, he turned around and said, oh, but I have chest pains. And you could see he had no more chest pains, but he knew the things to say that would keep him there, that he'd have to be seen, or he'd have to stay in the waiting room. You know, it was somewhere, I suppose. But they were they were all drunk. They were taking up four or five seats. The children were looking at them. You know, it was uncomfortable for me, never mind for a mother with her child that was on her own. Um, there was a woman came in. She had blood coming out of her head. She was sitting there drinking a bottle of whiskey. Oh, and my the security God. security guards approached her to take the whiskey off of her. She got violent. It took the three of them to control her. Then she grabbed something and tried to throw it through um, the extra glass window because where they, they confiscated the whiskey and took it inside in their little area. And there she was trying to throw it through the window to get her whiskey back. And yes, no, I don't know what the protocol is, she was allowed to stay there. She laid down across three or four seats. There was another drug addict laying down across three or four seats. You know, there was people actually standing. There was no sitting room. Now, uh, God, you know, God help these people. These are people that have addiction uh, issues. But I don't know whether somebody battling addiction issues, do we need almost to have a separate A&E department for somebody... Correct. 
who's battling addiction issues. I mean, the, the picture you're describing, I mean, I can't get out of my head the poor elderly, the elderly lady whose son yeah. dropped her off and she's yeah. there on her own, nobody advocating on her behalf and she no. can't, you know, no, I mean, no, you know, whatever. About, in her late 70s. Uh, God say, help her. God help her. But the difference between that experience and your experience going in in an ambulance. I said to my husband, I said, never, ever again will this happen. I said, you know, unless it's by ambulance. I said, never would I wait there again. Five times, I think I said to him, we're going, we're leaving. And he said, no, Sarah, you have to, my doctor had sent me up. Yeah, yeah. We have to stay. And I was like, no, when I got through the double doors, eventually at three o'clock in the morning, I understood why it took that long. The corridors were covered in trolleys. The four bedded rooms that were inside there had maybe six or eight beds in them. You know, um, I went into like a little triage room where they um, examine you Mm. and they hooked me up in there on drips and things. And I spent the rest of the night there, thankfully. And then were you discharged home the next day? Uh, I was put into the A and E place then, where there's a, you know there's about ten beds, and then they decide where you're going. Now, thankfully, I was able to come home yeah, the following yeah. day. But uh, but but looking at the Irish Medical Organisation's recommendation, between you walking in the door of the emergency yes. department and you being discharged home, that should have just taken six hours. Yeah. No. If a doctor was able to have come out and seen. You know, and spoke to us. Yeah. You know, maybe he, if he had spoke to me, he could have said, right there, okay, you need to go on a trip. Um, we're going to put you on this trip now, you know, and then hopefully be able to go home after. If he had seen that elderly lady, obviously she was able to go home. She had a prescription in her hand leaving. I don't know what the outcome was, obviously, but she had waited there nine hours and she left with a prescription in her hand. You know, did she? Did, and of course, you wouldn't have known. I wonder did they give her any food before she left? Did no, you? They did didn't. you? No, did, they yeah, no, they no, don't. No, no, did, no, there's two vending machines, and the vending machines have coke and water in, and the other one had crisps and chocolate in. There was. You and know. did you get offered tea and toast? Is that is that all? Is tea and toast all gone that day of somebody coming in with tea and toast on a tray? No, I didn't get offered anything. No. Oh, no, yeah, scary they were place. When I got through, they were lovely, you know, the emergency doctors said, oh, we're so sorry for the wait. I mean, obviously, they had no way to put us. So we, but maybe if a doctor could have come out and spoke to, you know, I mean, to the likes of that woman now, she, they, they were looking for anti-seizure medication. I don't know is that, I don't know, the, but, the, you know, if he'd come out and said, right, there's your script for it, off you go, instead of them hanging around the waiting room like that, Maybe it could have been, but I do think mother and children should have a totally separate waiting room. There, I, what day of the week was that? Was that a weekend? That was a Tuesday, imagine. Oh, God, it was. And when I spoke thought it was a Friday or Saturday. That's what she said to me. The doctor said to me, tonight's a quiet night there. She said, you should see it at the weekend. Oh, my God. I, I'm telling you, you wouldn't go back. You wouldn't go up no. there unless you're really unwell. No. I mean, there's nobody Absolutely. hanging hanging around unless, unless you really need to get it. All right, but you're doing okay? Oh, I'm fine. Great. I'm absolutely fine. Yeah, Great. Great. But do you know what? If they could give us back Bantry Hospital. I was just, it was going to be my final question. Bring back Bantry Hospital. Yeah, You'd have been absolutely. in and out in a flash and, and been dealt with somebody who probably knew you. Yeah. And I can walk to Bantry Hospital. Ah, oh, my house. Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> listen, stay, stay safe. Mind yourself and have a good Christmas. Yeah, you too. Take Thanks care. a million. God bless. That uh, is uh, Sarah in Bantry. Her experience of the A&E in the Mercy uh, last week. 1850 And the last of our Santa tickets 
This is a family pass to go see Santa at Magical Blarney. And our final winner is Catherine O'Sullivan in Kale Kale. Congratulations to you, Catherine O'Sullivan in uh, Kale Kale. That uh, family pass to go along and experience Magical Blarney. It's Cork's favourite Santa experience. We have a Magical Blarney free Santa Friday. So I'm assuming Nick Richards has the tickets uh, this afternoon as well. And of course, Nick is broadcasting live from Glow. So it's all about Christmas today. 1850 Going to take a very quick break and we are back talking movies with Mark. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And if you would like to text us, if you would like one of our Get Up and Go diaries, we are giving away three Get Up and Go diaries for the, they're the busy women diaries. So if you are a busy woman or you've got a busy woman in your life, get uh, texting 0862 103 103. Just text the word diary along with your name and address. So diary your name and address to 0862103103. Get texting on that, uh, please. Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, uh, joins me in studio. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hello there. And uh, the Grinch you went along to mm. see in the movies and then the Equalizer 2 is our DVD. Let me take a quick trailer from the Grinch. And Merry Christmas to you. Before he was mean, he was a lonely boy. But it's never too late to feel Christmas joy. That's not going to happen. Max, today we're going to steal Christmas. Prepare to have your little doggy mind blown. And I just realized when I saw the Grinch, I was saying, why isn't it the Grinch 2, 3, 4, 5? Because this is, so this is the first Grinch. It's, well, it's, it's a version of it, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's an animated uh, film, yeah. so it's not, it's not really a sequel. Is, yeah. As such, you know, it's yeah. just a remake, uh, okay. a, another remake. And of course, the first question you have to ask, Hollywood is just coming up with so many remakes and sequels. You, the first thing you've got to ask is, is it necessary? Because I'm still thinking of Jim Carrey. Yeah. Now, I kind of thought when I thought about well, when was the Jim Carrey film? Was it 10 years ago? It's 18 years ago. Oh. So <laughs> I know it seems like yesterday, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I didn't. Yeah. And, I suppose uh, because and we watch it every Christmas. It's exactly, kind of one yeah. of those ones. Yeah. And it's not really. They, well, that one wasn't really very good anyway, I don't think. I didn't particularly like it very much. I don't know I what you thought. I was never a fan of the yeah, never. But a I fan. did like the performance. I thought Jim Carrey was amazing, but I thought the film itself was just a bit kind of dull. And in fact, it's the same here. And then you just wonder: is it the storyline? Is the problem the storyline? But it can't be surely. This is the storyline of this kind of creature who lives on top of a hill overlooking Hoonville, and, uh, and he's green, and he's a curmudgeonly old yeah. thing, and uh, he hates life, and he hates everybody, and but of course he doesn't really hate people. He just hates himself. And so uh, he decides to steal Christmas. So he goes into the town because he hates uh, Whoville and he steals all the Christmas presents. And so we saw that with Jim Carrey. And now here we are again. It's made by Illumination, the animators who make films like um, The Lorex and Despicable Me and The Minions. So it's got that kind of primary oh, colour look. So yeah, it, it yeah. looks amazing. I love really that. Does. I have to say I love that. I love the Despicable Me and that look. Exactly, movie, that yeah. look. And so you've got that look here again. And um, it's really, really beautiful to look at. Uh, this time we've got Benedict Cumberbatch, who was playing the Grinch. Now, Benedict Cumberbatch is a terrific actor. I mean, I do think he's fabulous. Mm. He doesn't do a very good American accent, though. And in this okay. one, he decides to do a kind of a nasally thing. Now, they did ask him initially to use his own voice. So maybe they knew. And he said, no, look, all the cast is American. So, you know, it's an American classic. It's so an Ameri- it is an American movie. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I'll do an American accent. And he kind of does this kind of really weird kind of thing. And I, I heard it there in the trailer. I heard it in the yeah. trailer. And I don't really think it really quite works, you know. And I think I, I wondered, would the film have been better with a better um, actor there? Because I was 
looking, I remember I was watching the DVD um, kind of extras of, say, Shrek some years ago. And um, one of the producers was saying that we were really pleased with the script we had and we loved the character of Donkey. But when Eddie Murphy came in, he was so amazing. He turned it up to 11. So an average line turned turned out to be a fabulous line because he was so good. So it did make me think, wouldn't it be great if maybe The Grinch was done by Eddie Murphy or, you know, or or even Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey also, of course, was a doctor in Dr. Seuss film. Was it uh, Horton Hears a Who? And he was brilliant. Um, So that's kind of the initial kind of disappointing thing. The thing about it is that um, it's really flat the whole thing and and I was kind of watching it and I'm thinking the whole time I'm watching it I'm thinking okay it's going to pick up now it's going to pick up now any minute, I mean, any stuff minute. is happening all the time yeah. and it's incredibly beautiful to look at I mean the recreation of Whoville is extraordinary and the animators and the, the artists as usual do their job but you know it's funny because I, I, last week I reviewed um, Hotel Transylvania 3 and there are more gags per minute in that than there is in this film and uh, you know I met a woman who brought her two little girls along and they were bored by it they just thought well okay it's yeah they didn't particularly like it either so I was going to say to you I presume that uh, you know families uh, bringing their kids along will enjoy it and I think they possibly will the little dog is absolutely wonderful in the film and they the kids will like that I just as I say it's kind of joyless a lot of the time and not even you know they might say it's a Christmas movie now of course you know it becomes very heartwarming in the the second half of the film but you've got a way to get there but you've got to get a way to get there yeah so Pharrell Williams does uh, the narration Um, I'm glad to say a lot of uh, the female kind of girl roles in animation films tend to be done by adults. But here um, it's done by um, a little girl called Cameron Seeley. She plays the character of Cindy Lou and she's just gorgeous and wonderful. Angela Lansbury at the age of uh, 92 <gasps> plays the, the, the mayor. So she's still around. She's still living here in Cork. Uh, I don't think she is. It's I think she's back again. in Hollywood again. Yeah, yeah. isn't it fantastic to see Angela? Lansbury's? And of course, she's going to be in uh, Mary Poppins as well. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. yeah. So look, I thought it looked beautiful. I was never bored, but I was never particularly entertained, and that was the disappointment. Okay, thing and it is the Grinch, and, and you know, and as I say, I'm shocked to see it's 18 years ago, but you are going to have people who would have re- remembered it and are now parents, yeah. and they'd be bringing their kids along, thinking, exactly. "Oh, I got to go along to this." Okay, so mark it at ten. Um, six. Six out of ten. The Grinch, and that's in the cinemas, and in the. Equalizer 2. Yes, uh, based on, uh, well, of course, it's the sequel to the, the first film, which was then based on the television series with Edward Woodward. Do you remember? The I do indeed. Series? Yeah. I absolutely do, yeah. Um, so basically, he's this kind of vigilante uh, character, and um, basically, he does things for people without them knowing it. Because uh, I think in the first film, he worked in a kind of a DIY store, and of course, he was a former special services uh, kind of operative uh, who has incredible skills, and he's kind of famous for not using guns. He'll use basically whatever implement is there uh, handy to, to use yeah. that. And in the first film, he worked in a DIY store and the, you know which the, is handy with the last section where he basically the, the, the bad guys attacked the DIY store and you can imagine what he used in defence there and it was very clever and uh, you know people think I'm very sensitive to violence but I'm, I'm sensitive to violence if it's in the wrong place whereas yeah. we know that these are going to be violent films uh, because it's directed by uh, Antoine Fuqua who did uh, Training Day and The Magnificent Seven with Denzel so they watched before and famously Denzel doesn't do sequels so this is actually his very very first sequel he's never done one before and, and so so obviously, you know, he thinks well, that he just doesn't believe in sequels. Yeah, apparently so. Fair yeah, but, uh, but obviously he thinks that uh, you this know, is good enough. I'll do it. There's enough merit here to be able to do it. And he obviously uh, likes working with the director. So this time, basically, he's a, a taxi driver and he's just, um, you know, um, 
I think it's Massachusetts he lives and uh, so of course as you, you know he's a nighttime taxi driver so he sees the worst in uh, in human in the human condition and so there are a number of threads running in the film which is kind of interesting because in the one stage he's, he meets this young man who lives in his apartment block who's getting involved in gangs and he's trying to help him uh, he, he meets this old Holocaust survivor who believes he has painted this picture this photograph uh, back in the 40s which is now being sold for millions and nobody believes that it's him so it's his so he try and helps th- him, uh, this young woman appears in his taxi one night, and she has been beaten up and drugged, and so therefore he goes to have a little word with the kind He's of. He's just a good guy. With the Wall Street kind of uh, boys that were responsible for that, and the main story thread is that he is still in contact with the CIA and his boss there, with whom Melissa Leo, who is a very good friend of his, and um, and uh, she uh, is killed whilst she is in Europe uh, trying to solve a crime, and so therefore he then goes in search of the bad guys who were responsible for that. So. So there's an awful lot happening at different levels all the time. Mm. And that's kind of interesting. And um, what makes it so exciting and when what the, the thing is, right at the core of this film is the performance of Denzel Washington, who, as you know, I think I, I admire very much. Yeah, he's, he's an extraordinary stunning. actor. And he's an actor who is because uh, there's an awful we see an awful lot of tough guys who are just simply tough guys and and he's not there's a kind of a sensitivity to him and there always has been in all of uh, his um, of his movies I remember he made a, a kind of a submarine movie with Gene Hackman years ago and at one stage in the film Gene Hackman slaps him across the face now can you imagine you know a, a superhero tough guy in Hollywood can you imagine Bruce Willis being slapped in the face no. it just wouldn't happen but Denzel is one of those incredibly intelligent actors who goes yeah you can Hit slap me. me in the face yeah and um, and so he is just absolutely wonderful and this and again you know he uses whatever implement uh, at one stage one of the bad guys hands him his credit card and he uses the credit card to kill him <laughs> and it's you know and, and th- these sequences are amazing and even though I think he's in his 60s now he's very very believable and, um, and you and enjoy and he's a fit man and he yeah he's he looks great man. and it works and there's a terrific set piece again at the end in a uh, hurricane which really works do you want me to move on and uh, which it's fab- fabulous and if they make a third I'd, I'd welcome it I enjoy this very very much indeed okay. but it is violent. Equaliser 2, Mark, out of 10? I'll give it 8. 8 out of 10. Okay, thank you for that. Have a lovely week. We'll chat again next Friday. Okay, our diary winners for today. Anne Rogers is in Carrick Tuhal. Trish Jones is in Mornabi and Kathleen Collins is in Kilpatrick in Bandon. Congratulations, Anne, Trish and Kathleen. You've won uh, the Busy Women Diaries. You can keep them for yourself or pass them on to a loved one. Well, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to uh, John Paul for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and he's coming live from Glow. So you'll be really able to soak up the Christmas atmosphere uh, with Nick for the afternoon. And we'll talk to you Monday morning at 10 o'clock. And to then I'm Patricia Messenger. Good afternoon. Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. 
As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. 